If you've been around here for any amount of time, you probably know that this podcast is pretty aggressively anti-self-help because too often the self-help culture imagines you have ultimate control. That just by juicing or having a prayer ritual or instituting new habits, you can achieve perfection. Perfect homes, perfect marriages, perfect parenting, perfect abs. I've always wanted perfect ab. I think I would settle for one. But, you know, just follow these five quick, easy steps. But more often than we'd like, life comes apart. And what we thought was under our control is taken from our hands. We get sick, our kids walk away from our love, our parents age, our jobs and aspirations don't work out. We realize we are human again today. I'm Kate Bowler and this is Everything Happens. So if I'm not a proponent of drunk on control version of self-help, what exactly is possible? Are we capable of meaningful change And if so, how much meaningful change? That's why I am so excited to be speaking with someone today who wonders too, how much is in our control? How much of life is constituted by our choices? And now that we're being honest, is life a project? Gretchen Rubin is one of the most thoughtful observers of happiness. She's been interviewed by Oprah and been an answer on Jeopardy. So, you know, kind of a big deal. She's the author of bestsellers like The Happiness Project, The Four Tendencies, and Better Than Before, which have sold millions of copies. And she has a delightful podcast called Happier that has been listened to over a hundred million times. Gretchen, thank you so much for doing this with me, friend. Okay, I'm so happy to have the chance to talk to you as always. Sometimes we can start on a path that demands like a million choices in a row. Like if you want to get somewhere, you'd better be up at 6 a.m. And then I'll see you in 10 years if you've made every right decision. And you started down a path like that when you're just an incredibly successful person and who had to make a million choices in a row, like great grades, probably perfect grades, and then Yale Law and then editor of the Yale Law Journal, which is code for incredible, and then clerking on the Supreme Court. Even just saying that, I want to watch your life as a television series. But but then you felt like something needed to be changed. What was that turning point like for you? Kate, in your book, uh, No Cure for Being Human, somebody says to you, is this a a calling or is this a career? Yeah. 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 And, and I and, and you were like, it's, and it's a call. It was a calling. Um, and, and I felt, definitely felt the call to write. Yeah. So I was working as a lawyer and I certainly enjoyed my, you know, being a clerk uh, on the Supreme Court was this fantastic opportunity. But it was while I was there that I got the idea. Um, and I didn't even know it was a book idea when I first got it. Um, yeah. But uh, but that is what ultimately led me to think, well, I could write a book. Yeah. So I went to the bookstore and got a book called How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal and just followed <laughs> the directions. And um, so for me, it was really about just this kind of, uh, I could no longer resist the desire to write. Yeah, right. Like you discovered a new rule of gravity. You're like, yes. oh, okay, I guess I move in this direction at exactly. 9.8 square meters down. <laughs> no, I always think of it as being, you know, in Star Wars where like the Millennium Falcon is caught in the tractor beam and they're like, well, we have to turn off the engines because like the tractor beam has us, like we can't resist. And I was like, that's what happened to me. I was like, I felt that tractor beam pull and I was like, well, I, I'm either gonna, I'd rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer at uh-huh. this point. So uh-huh. I better give it my shot now. Yeah, so, Yeah, I was at that point. We are so often told that we have to wait 
for some kind of feeling of arrival to have to take a risk like so true retirement i was always i think as an academic i I always just figured it would be like i would have some kind of feeling like i would i would i would my brain would have reached some kind of like peak or like this mythical break in our work schedule. We always imagine that like someday it's oh. going to be better. <laughs> yes. In the summer, over the holidays, next yes. year, once the kids go back to school, yeah, yeah. it's all going to calm down. Yes. Oh, it's open time. Yes. Oh, the myth, the myth of open. My best friend and I have a joke, just like a phrase we use whenever we try to ask each other like a thoughtful prompting question to be kind of like, hey, sweetie, maybe you could make this change in your life. Um, the kind of advice, honestly, that you give where you're like, hey, this is a this is a nudge toward, you know, sanity. Yeah. And we always go, oh, I mean, in all your free time and in all your yeah. free time is our like, uh, yeah, is our is our hilarious joke <laughs> about the fact that the world just never seems to open up and tell us, I don't know, just like give us a second to decide who we might be if we're not just propelled naturally. Yeah, I know. I mean, some people kind of resist New Year's resolutions or or things like that. But I love any kind of external prompt to stop yeah. and think. Yeah. Um, because you know, you're, whether it's a big important anniversary yeah. or um, uh, you know, milestone birthday, I feel like it is. It's just so easy to get swept up in um, the urgency of the to do list and 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 not think about the bigger questions like yeah. um, is this what I really want anyway or am I am I neglecting more transcendent values because I'm just sort of taking care of the day to day sometimes people think like oh it's not good to just think about your happiness all the time and I'm like well I to me at least for me like I never thought about it um because yeah. I just never stepped back to say like is there any way that I could be happier is there any low-hanging fruit is there any yeah just stuff within my easy reach that I could do yeah um because I just just yeah. never asked myself that question. I, I think it was maybe in the in Angela Duckworth's book on grit, but mm-hmm. I remember thinking about that question of feeling like propelled because I was always maybe over propelled through the mm-hmm. world, and I lived in kind of like middle distance where it was always mm-hmm. it was always someday it wasn't today it wasn't quite tomorrow and mm-hmm. and it wasn't honestly till I was so sick that I couldn't I just physic I physically couldn't do that that I started thinking about some of the questions you're describing. It was some of that, like, how do I get at those bigger? Will I have, I'm not sure I'll have all the time in the world to get to those big questions. But now that I'm a bit humbled (laughs) by my circumstances and, you know, now that I'm taken apart, is there a person maybe I'm supposed to, that I should be instead? Because I'm not entirely sure how to live if I'm not just doing everything that's in front of me. But I think that's there's so much value in your work, Kate, is because you've sort of been forced to think about those big questions and you can kind of take us through your thinking and your experience. And then I think that helps us to think about doing it ourselves. Yeah, Um, certainly you did not want to volunteer (laughs) to play that role, unfortunately, (laughs) but um, but you but you are so good at at helping other people think through those questions. Thanks, Gretchen. I get a lot of messages from people who are just kind of simul who are also kind of undone. Like they've lost somebody that they love or they get, they lose their job or they lose a dream or they're, or even just like their a relationship ends or their kids move out. And this world that they loved 
no longer exists. And then there are, like so many of us, are forced into a kind of reevaluation that we don't even necessarily have time for. Like I'm just thinking with all of the, you know, intense squeezing of our pandemic lives into smaller and smaller economies. I think the the weight of these questions are huge and it's hard in our limited economies to give ourselves permission to ask them. You also wrote something really that I, I thought kind of surprised me. You, you said, um, one of my goals for the happiness project, so the the sort of breaking down of these, of life into possible steps was to prepare for adversity, to develop yeah. the self-discipline and the mental habits to deal with a bad thing when it happened. I didn't want to wait for a crisis to remake my life. I thought that was really, I mean, kind of badass, to be honest. Well, you know, it's funny because one thing when I was working on the Happiness Project, um, one thing that concerned me was would people sometimes feel like it's superficial and like, oh, I'm thinking about, you know, making my bed and, and this is really trivial in the face of everything that we should be thinking about in our lives. But I felt it for myself. I wanted to try to do whatever I could within my own powers to make my life happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. While I had kind of the wherewithal to think about it so that when something difficult arose, I'd yeah. sort of be better able to handle it. And what's interesting is I've talked to a lot of people who have been in these really tough situations and they and they do say, like, it's good to sort of try to get your house in order when you can. Yeah. Um, because then you're sort of in a better place when you don't have the time and the and the energy yeah. uh, to think about it. And, and sometimes it just makes things easier um, yeah. when, when you're when you have to think about other, you know, bigger, larger matters. Yeah. Um, you know, because like yeah. you say, it, it always seems like tomorrow will be easier. It'll be. Easier oh, tomorrow's tomorrow going to be great. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to get that zero inbox and everyone's yeah. going to be happy with me and I'll have figured yeah. out all my health. And yeah. tomorrow's yeah. amazing. Yeah. But today I'll just have to grind it out. And that's what I need to do today. And I've, but yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then there's just this lingering sense. Yeah. I guess I, I always did have the illusion that, that this other life would create itself (laughs) in some way. And uh, there's this feeling though, right in our lives that just feels like, um, to me, it always feels like hunger, you know, and there's that lovely quote from Henry David Thoreau, you know, about his, he goes into the woods and he, you know, tries to live this experiment in which he's trying to live differently. And he writes, I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. That's such a beautiful description of that kind of hunger, right? But that, but we know we don't want to waste this, but we don't always know where to start. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the book that I'm working on now is all about the five senses. And I think it's that same thing where I'm like, I'm absent minded. It's slipping by. I'm not paying attention. I Because to me, I always need like I, I need to make something systematic. Like I can't just think to do something. I have to like put it on the calendar because that's the kind of person yeah. that I am. Even happiness. I kiss my husband in the morning and at night. I'm like, it's on the list um, to make. I have to put everything on on my list. And I thought, yeah, I just I want to make sure that I see I don't want to miss a sound. I don't want to overlook a texture. I want to um, yeah. look, and there I am mixing my sensory metaphors as we do. Um, because again, it's that, it's that yeah. really experiencing what's happening to us because it's so easy to just kind of be in a fog yeah. and feel like it's all drifting away. Yeah. And then you're like, where'd the summer go? 
well, like kindergarten go. Yeah. Um, so I spend a lot of time trying to just like uh, experience what's happening right now. Yes. For people who are like in this everything happens community are people who have like pretty limited or like really stretched thin either because mm-hmm. they've gone through something or they're yeah. in a profession that asks everything from them yeah. and they're like care worn. You know, I know that you're very practical in the way that you think about like small steps that can create like the feeling yes. of moreness. Yeah, yeah. I'm like the Ben Franklin. <laughs> you know, it's very, very, very practical. I love that. Could you give an example of something you've tried that we could all use as a kind of refresher right now? Well, you know, I, I think it's easy to be like, I want to be more rested. Like, I want more energy. But to me, I'm always like, well, take that down to the most practical, actionable thing. Like, what's something that you can actually do? For instance, set an alarm to go to bed. Yeah. Um, a lot of people um, stay up late because they jack themselves up watching TV or doing, you know, work yeah. email or whatever. And they feel perfectly wide awake until midnight. But actually, they would be much better off if they went to bed at like 10 or 11. And you know that because you're like, most adults need at least seven hours of sleep. I can do the math. My bedtime should be 1030. But, you know, our kids have a a bedtime and a lot of adults need a bedtime. And it's good. And your phone can remind you just like it reminds you to wake up and you can give yourself a snooze alarm. And so, you know, I'm always like, start with the basics. Like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting a little bit of exercise? Are you getting morning light? Do you have yeah. something that to look forward to? Like, is your yeah. day just a dreary yeah. list of right to do's? Or do you have something? I love the idea that there's like that we can rediscover embodiment. Because I, you know, I tend to really live in my head and then I just yeah. drift away. Yes. And it's hard to come back. I know in the pandemic, people maybe had these small joys like gardening or things that really brought them back to their bodies again. No, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons that bread making became such a thing was because every sense is satisfied. The feeling, the kneading, the punching, the yeast, (laughs) the baking bread, the crunchiness, the delicious flavor, the feeling of doing something yourself. I mean, I think I think it was incredibly uh, sensorily satisfying. I did do one um, kind of joy, happiness related sensory thing over the pandemic, which is I I'd lost so much of my sense of taste because of so much chemo. And it was such a, bu- it was just such a bummer where like everyone was like, oh, I taste the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yes, me too. So what I did was I found a local wine store that would humor me. And I just kept, I ordered like 10 of the same grape. And then I would just have these little taste tests with, you know, like, cause we could only have things outside. So I just have these little taste tests outside. I really relearned like, oh, I'm like not bad at identifying a French Sauvignon Blanc right now because I took me. It was like a fun little project to sort of learn how to describe things. And I my friends are so great at being like, oh, I taste brininess. And I was like, oh, I would never taste brininess. But now I kind of got it. So it did make me feel more. um, It was just such a such a fun way to learn. We just kind of return to ourselves in a strange way when we can rediscover such small pleasures. Well, and I do think it can also be kind of a refuge because you can always sort of turn to the experience of your body and like the beauties of nature or, you know, very simple things. And it is, it is, it's satisfying in a very kind of um, primal way. 
it doesn't really take anything out of us. And one of the things I love about it is, especially something like scent, which as I said, is one of my favorites. You can't bookmark it. You can't save it for later. You can't glut yourself on it. You can't overdose <laughs> on it. You, you know, you can't, you could spend too much on perfume, yeah. but you don't even need to. You could smell vanilla. You could smell grapefruit, like, but you have to do it right now. You got to smell that gardenia right now. Nice. And you can't even keep doing it for long because pretty yeah. soon your, your nose and your brain will turn it off. And so it is something that really is, it, it does tie you to the moment um, wow. in a energizing way. That is a perfect account of the now. And mm -hmm. also every Christmas Hallmark movie where they're like yeah. describing smells. They're like, oh, and the cinnamon for this year's Bake Off. <laughs> was... I, um... Here's something fun. <laughs> ketchup is a perfect food. You can have all five tastes in ketchup. What? It's sweet. It's sour. It's salty. It's umami. What? And bitter. There's Whoa. a lot of bitterness in there too. I always really? think about bitter. Yeah, it's got it's got everything. That's very unusual. Margaritas have four, but they don't have umami. So it's like <laughs> you know what I mean. And just about all, and research shows that just about all of us have ketchup in the fridge. So if you need like a quick hit to your body, just take a little taste of ketchup and just think. I took it for granted. Simple ketchup, and it's oh a my gosh. food. <laughs> That's so pretty. I've had a ketchup taste test before. Actually, oh. I had one a couple months ago because I have the little pod of kids that I yes. I'm gonna like full five cents them on it. Yes. <laughs> Don't overlook ketchup. No, what a great taste test. That is so fun. I love a taste test. You and I have a lot invested in the question of what's possible for us. And we know mm -hmm. right now that people are especially tired and and lonely and overwhelmed. And I wondered if we could maybe walk through some of the objections to the idea of becoming happier. Because mm -hmm. you can almost hear people say like, oh, you yeah. don't understand my life is sure. genuinely impossible. Right. And I think we both care a lot about that middle place that we're both trying to find. So first, we have to agree to the premise that it is possible to make ourselves happier. I wondered if you could tell me a bit about set point theory. Yeah. So what research suggests is that about 50% of happiness is genetically determined. So some people are born Tiggers and some people are born Eeyores, and that's pr pretty much hardwired. Then about 15 to 20% is life circumstances. So that's health, education, income, marital status, things like that, which we sort of have some control over, maybe yeah. or yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is very much uh, the result of our conscious thoughts and actions. And that's really what I focus on. It's sort of like, given what my life is today, are there things that are easily within my power without spending a lot of time, energy or money that I, I can do that I think would make myself be happier? So yeah. it's working in that range because that's really where we have some control. Now, could you say at sometimes in our lives, it's not possible to be happier? Absolutely. And yeah. I don't, you know, sometimes people think like, oh, you know, what I'm arguing with the happiness project is that everyone should be 10 on the one to 10 scale 24 seven. That's not realistic and it wouldn't even be a good life because obviously in many times in our lives, yeah. we're experiencing other emotions and, and that's powerful and that's important. And, but it's sort of like, given who I am and where I am, are there yeah. things that I can do to make myself happier? To me, that seems worthwhile because if you could be much happier by, you know, you've been meaning to make time for friends for years and then you finally find a way to do it in a manageable way. Well, to me, I'm like, you should take your shot. 
Now, set point theory suggests that everyone has a set point and they kind of will always drift back to it, you know, as circumstances change. I think it's more helpful to think of a set range. So maybe, you know, you know, someone who's, you know, on the seven to 10 range, and then maybe, you know, somebody who's more like on the four to seven range. But whatever our kind of range is, I do think that there are things that we can do within our ordinary day without taking a lot of time, energy or money that can push us up to the top of our range instead of pushing us down to our bo- the bottom of our range. That small space between the idea that like nothing is possible and mm-hmm. everything Every- is possible. <laughs> I mean, you know that like so much of my um, yeah. just intellectual gentle rage fest is like <laughs> spent just trying to talk people out of that yeah. everything is possible yeah. as yeah. both like a self-help genre and as just like a series of especially religious and spiritual cultural scripts that we have like and then you know that like and i think we find that people like the the harder their lives get the more they're kind of fed this endless diet of hyper agency like you just need to yeah like and i i love the much gentler place that you're finding in the middle here which is like a limited agency like what is possible inside this 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 range that isn't like herculean or like adorable Eeyore, who just, his tail falls off and he just, he's never yeah. going to find it. Right. Never. Right. Well, and it's sort of like, given everything that's true, are there things that you can do? And I think that for most people, there are some things they can do. You know, a lot of it is just sort of deciding that you're, you're making an effort. For instance, like, uh, you know, something a lot of people say is they spend all this time scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Well, if you were like, I would rather like pick a TV show that I love and really make time to like watch one episode a night until I go through all seven seasons yeah. and really enjoy that time and yeah. kind of make it special. And yeah. like, Ooh, now's my time to get to watch The Office or whatever, rather than just like kind of like passively falling into a habit that it's not any more difficult to watch the TV show. It's more purposeful, Um, but you're not really asking yourself to do more because maybe you have no more to offer. I do find that just a little purpose around a plan. Like right now, I feel very overwhelmed in my life. I really don't have a lot of extra. There's a little bit of crying in the shower a lot lately. And so, you know, it's just one of those seasons. And, And you're trying so hard to get out of it, but it's just, it is like the weight of it is so... Today, I took three minutes. I decided that it would be absolutely adorable to have my best friend's two little kids. I love them, and they play together with my son all the time. And uh, they have not seen Cruella yet, the movie, and I thought, wouldn't that be so fun? So I ordered three sets of Dalmatian puppy ears and costumes, and I ordered myself a Cruella wig. And I'm going to have them over on Friday and we're going to order pizza. And that to me feels like it cuts through the noise of just how hard things are right now. Yes. That little bit of whimsy. You're elevating the moment. You're sort of creating. You're elevating something from just, hey, why don't you have the kids come over and we'll stick in a movie to like, this is a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) Yes. And we can't have things all the time. But just a few things does feel like I'm a huge fan of food dye. You can trick out so much stuff and play so many hilarious pranks yeah. <laughs> with a little bit of food dye. So, you know, and again, it's not that it's so hard, but you have to have the thought of like, oh, yeah. it's April Fool's Day. Why don't I dye the milk green so that Cute. when my kids pour it out in the morning, they'll be horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did. 
yeah, it's not that it, it you just yeah. need to take that moment to think, yeah. You know, why don't I? Why don't I? Why don't I think of a little something to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or cruel a day. <laughs> what about the idea that to be happier, you have to really change everything? I know mm. you've touched on this. Like, I'm just imagining in our cultural lore, we have a lot of like midlife crisis mm-hmm. myths about people who sort of drive their life off a cliff to make a big yep. change, or you know that, that in a way that to really to really be happier, you might have to walk away from your life as if you're walking away from a burning building you've set yeah. on fire. Right. And and big leaps and huge life changes, especially in a moment like that, like right now, seems quite implausible. You've really thought about this in a much more granular way. Some people only <laughs> want to go big or go home. They're only attracted by the idea of like, I'm going to run a marathon in 2021 yeah. and I'm going to blow your minds and here I go. And they do it and it's amazing. But I think for more people, um, certainly yeah. for me, I didn't never left my neighborhood. It was all in the interstices. It was all yes. just part of my ordinary life, which I love. I didn't want to transform it. And really, I couldn't have transformed. I have too many responsibilities. I've always been told that there is a huge distinction between the words happiness and joy. Ugh, and yeah. I found that I had really always gravitated toward the word joy because that is something I distinctly recognized as a gift, like something that kind of either bubbled up mm-hmm. and you know, in the Christian tradition, it's also been something, you know, that I have experienced sort of internal, kind of like the feeling of like laughing where you you feel surprised, but also mm-hmm. just that sometimes I feel joyful at times that are absolutely garbage. And that has always felt to me like something that came from outside of, of mm-hmm. me. So like grace. Kind of- yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. So in, in really thinking about our conversation, I decided to do a little bit more actual thoughtful digging about you know, what my own tradition says about happiness. I just mean like the definition. And I realized I was wrong. Like there is a really long tradition, uh, you know, of defending happiness and that the word that they use, you know, in the Thomistic definition is they is flourishing and that we're meant to seek the flourishing of ourselves and others. But that, of course, they have a few little caveats like we're supposed to seek the flourishing of others and not just ourselves. And so how do we rescue happiness from, say, individualism? Well, the way I think about it is one of the best ways to make yourself happy is to make other people happy. And one of the best ways to make other people happy is to be happy yourself. If you look at people who are are happier, they tend to be healthier. They're more likely to volunteer. They're more likely to donate money and time. They make better team members and make and better leaders. They have healthier habits. And so there's sort of this idea that if you work, think about your own happiness all the time, you're going to be sort of complacent and drinking daiquiris by the beach. But in fact, <laughs> what you see is that happier people are like, isn't there a more efficient way to distribute malaria nets? Like, I think we all need to do that. You know, so a lot of times we're more able to be selfless when we're happier because we have more emotional wherewithal to turn outward and to think about other people and the world. <laughs> and it's certainly true that one of the best ways to make ourselves happier is to try to think about how do we help others and how do we yeah. do good in the world and how do we live up to our highest values. That is a kind of happiness that never palls. Um, I have a friend who um, was going through a terrible time, like everything. Her, her boyfriend broke up with her. She got rejected from a program. She lost yeah. her job. And I said, how did you get through it? And she said, I was addicted to doing good deeds. That was the Aww. only thing that made me feel better. Yeah. So it's like, was it selfish to do good deeds? Like, who cares? It's, <laughs> it's just like, 
makes me happier to see people doing good deeds, especially if it's me. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. they feed into each other. I mean, even just the premise of what you're describing about how, I mean, there's just that there's so much of our lives that we can't change. There's this narrow window of possibility in which we can act on behalf of ourselves and others. Like I find just being close to people who have that incredible reality in mind, that makes me feel less overwhelmed about why I can't fix my life. That feels like I am no longer like a, anybody else's project. I'm just like a co-human in that framework. And then, and then, dear God, I want the like, <laughs> all the tiny steps that you're describing. I think you're right to point out that in some ways, like w it is a fiction yeah. that we can make a list and go through it. Um, but it's, is it helpful to try yes. when we can, as long yes. as we don't blame ourselves or yes. think it's our fault when we can't? I, well, because my dear, I always give your work to other people when they don't believe they can try anymore. So I think we're both on the bookends of this mm -hmm. same question is, I want people yes. when they read your stuff to think, um, I am in my body today. I am in this life today. There are maybe only a few small things that I get to have any control over. And in that there is love and there is the dignity of choice. I mean, yes, we are not entirely made of our choices. We're not just math that adds up to some mm -hmm. mythical number every day. But yeah. there is that little bit in there where I want, I want us all to try. I really do. Only just, I mean, if only just for each other. <laughs> and sometimes trying just looks like asking for help. I mean, trying just means being honest sometimes about our limitations and then being willing to receive a little bit of know encouragement or compliments about my hair like there are certain days where like that will take me right. <laughs> over the finish line but yeah. i i think we're both we both care a lot about small math yeah i think you're so wise to point out and i always like am reminding myself like you have to recognize the limits but yeah. at the same time why not grasp what you can yeah, because it feels like a shame to miss the opportunity to put on the to put on the Cruella costume yeah. and and make it something fun. Yeah, it's like you don't want to miss that opportunity. Yeah, um, yes. But maybe sometimes it's beyond what you can do, and you just have to say today is not that day. You yeah, know, maybe this is not the year for that. Yes. Um, but maybe I can find something else. Maybe I can dye the milk green. <laughs> No, it's attention. It's definitely, it is attention. Yes. In the framework of good, better, best, you're sticking the landing on better and yeah. we're both giving up best. And sometimes those will be days which you just need to be carried in that direction. And other days we carry other people. There is just a little bit of space there where we get to try. And that, I mean, that's why I'm the person who accidentally tears up when I watch like a woman do a pull up at the gym. Every time I see someone try, I feel yeah. awed. I really do. I feel like, you know, it is really hard in this world to be a person and it is really hard to try. And it feels kind of lovely to be right yeah. up close to it. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Or like seeing little kids learning to walk when you're like, oh, they're just they're just yeah. relentless. <laughs> yes. They're going to get it figured out. Well, I think it sounds like you have a lovely, tender heart that mm. really does want us all to notice and pay attention enough to feel for a second that little bit of dignity in our day and that's 
That's a big feeling. Gretchen, thank you so much for this conversation. This oh. was such a joy. Kate, I feel like we could talk all day. <laughs> and the funny thing is we have never met in person. That, that doesn't possible? make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> we it will, happen. though. We will. So what do you think? Can happiness be a project? I love the distinction Gretchen draws. A lot of life is out of our control. Genetics, life circumstances, tragedies, systemic injustices, global earth plagues. But for that tiny percentage that is in your control, maybe there are some small changes that might make us a little happier. And in doing so, that delight might rub off on others. That space of limited agency is where I'd love to learn to live, where I can ask, what is possible today? So, dear ones, here is a blessing for permission to try. Blessed are you, my dear, you whose life has unraveled in so many ways, and it may seem, well, daunting, maybe even impossible, to think about what to do next. The bills that need paid, the doctor's voicemail that needs to be heard, the nighttime loneliness you feel. Blessed are you, trying to put aside the everything is possible mentality. You who have taken yourself off the hook for perfection or the illusion that when things go south, you must be doing something wrong. And blessed are you who need to be reminded that yes, a lot of things aren't fixable, but here's something I might try. Taking that tiny step that might make today a smidge lighter. Maybe not easier or necessarily better, but lighter. Maybe we can be a bit more generous today or go to bed earlier or ask a new friend to grab coffee or take a walk instead of doom scrolling Twitter or turn off our work email this Saturday or pick up a paintbrush for no reason at all except joy. Maybe we be people who anchor ourselves to the now with our hands holding the steering wheel and our nose smelling that gardenia and our eyes delighting in that kid's toothless smile with our breath in the here and now. work on the Everything Happens podcast and with the Everything Happens initiative is made possible because of our partners and generous donors, Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, Duke Divinity School, and Faith and Leadership, an online learning resource. And a huge thank you to my team who makes this work not only possible, but fun. Jessica Ritchie, Harriet Putman, Keith Weston, Gwen Hagenbotham, Katie Mangum, AJ Walton, Catherine Smith, Mary Jo Clancy, JJ Dickinson, and Jeb and Sammy. And if you'd like to be a human with me, come find me online at Kate C. Bowler. I also have a weekly email that might be the right dose of love and courage you need. Sign up at katebowler.com newsletter.
This is Everything Happens With Me, Kate Bowler.